Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Welcome to Books Boys, live from the Grand Library, the Dean and PJ. He's PJ. Hello there. I'm the Dean, and we are the Books Boys. The one and only. This is the Books Boys show. Get it? Buy it? Books. Books. Hmm. All right. Like, we do get some people emailing us and asking what get it, buy it, books means. Uh, I don't know. Apparently, it's a meaningless phrase, PJ. Is it? I thought it was packing a lot of, a lot of content. I thought it was, right? Apparently, it's one of those phrases that sounds like it means something until you look at it and then it's uh it doesn't mean anything so there well, the, there we go so it's just a metaphor to to just like modern corporal life is it i guess it is i guess it is okay guys this is episode six we're on uh, half a year of the books boys good lord has it been half a year oh yeah we started in october it has right? been half a year jesus yeah. it's mad from from halloween to easter you know it's uh half a year and how are you I'm, I'm doing i'm doing great dude yeah can't complain enjoying the sunshine enjoying Good. the reading yeah so i mean i've got plenty of time I've... it's nice to get out and do some do some reading in the sunshine oh, is, yeah. what yeah. i want to do before we talk about what we've been reading we need to just welcome all of our new listeners we've got a lot of new listeners and we got a lot in the u.s we got some in the uk we got some uh, in spain i've seen so many countries france australia awesome, singapore people listening all over and wow. um, but also we need to give two special welcomes uh, we got a lot of people listening on Radio Oxum in Oxfordshire. They're playing yeah, our sure. uh, our show on their um, on their radio station. So hello to everyone at Radio Oxum, hello. and also to the TNC. That's the That's Not Canon uh, network in Australia, and we've joined that network. And um, we're gonna pitch in with some of the other podcasts there. So hello to all our new friends there. Sweet, thanks guys for uh, yeah, yeah. Really appreciate we really appreciate being a part of your community. And uh, glad you're listening. We're always there for you. Sweet. And um, just to reiterate our, our mission statement for anyone who, who hasn't listened before, we are two guys. We like mm-hmm. books. We talk about the books. And we teach the kids what the books are because the kids, they don't know. Kids don't know what books are. So lesson, lesson one, podcast episode one, was very much about what are books. And there was a lot of confusion. I think people are slowly getting that it's different to your average row of toilet paper and uh, people are slowly getting it. So look, they're getting there. It's okay. It's, it's not your fault. It's just the modern age of um, the modern bookless age. You're slowly becoming uh, extinct. So not your fault. So we're here to just, but we're, we're on a mission. I realized this. I, I thought that the kids didn't know what books are because they thought it was something on the, on the Twitters or the cloud. <laughs> 
Um, I've now I've taken the fight to them, PJ. I'm fighting fire with fire. Books Boys are now all over Twitter and right. the Instagramicals. Okay. So if you get on there at Books Boys Podcast, and you'll you'll see some stuff from us. We're we're taking it to their own domain, and we're hitting them where it hurts with their book knowledge. The, the two worlds are meeting, so that's good. So anyone who wants to follow us on there can can do that. Uh, and of course, we should reiterate as well, we're still doing the mystery book giveaway. So oh. email booksboys at hotmail.com. Tell us what you're reading. You might win a mystery book. You just might. You also might not, but well, you never know. Well, you might as well try. So if you don't try, you won't you get it. Try. That's it. So shall we get started, let's PJ? Get started. Who wants to go first? Um, I, I, let's, uh, you go first, actually. I think you did more reading than I okay. did. But um, you go, you go ahead. And I've got some fun stuff to say afterwards as well. Ooh. I don't know how this happens, but I think every month I, I manage to just read too much. Like, you're you're a big reader. I can't, I can't keep up with your pace. <laughs> I, can't, I just can't keep up with it. And I thought I was a good reader. So this month I've read, I've read five books this month. Um, one of oh. them we're not going to talk about, uh, and that's The Botanist. And we're not going to talk about it because mm-hmm. I've sent it to you. And we're going we're gonna to get your thoughts on that. And we're going to talk about it together next yeah, month. Um, so I'm just going to talk about four books uh, that, I, that I read this month. Okay, cool. So the first one that I read was Uncle Silas. Have you heard of Uncle Silas? Oh, what, what's that? It's by uh, Sheridan Lufanu, the, the oh, yeah. uh, Irish um, author who wrote uh, Camilla, you the, know, the vampire story that the, came before Dracula. The, the first vampire story or one of the first vampire stories, the f- vampire stories? I think the first or at least the first famous one anyway. Wow, yeah. okay. Well, I've heard of this guy. So he came before Bram Stoker. And it's interesting that the Irish are always mm-hmm. talking about vampires. Don't know what's that all about. Bram Stoker being Irish and Lefanu being Irish as well. But I have not read any of his works. So, I mean, I, I kind of always thought it was a bit... I always get an impression, but I shouldn't assume, but it's always the assumption that it might be a bit stereotypical Gothic. But what were what was your impression of this book? Uh, stereotypical Gothic. Really, yeah. Okay, yeah. <laughs> it, yeah, very... Yeah, so... What this novel is, just to give you an idea, it is a almost 500 pages, and I think the majority of the content comes in the last 30 pages. And it's called Uncle so, Silas. Uncle Silas. Okay. So this book is, I suppose we need to make that old distinction between terror and horror. Uh-huh. This is not horror. This is not uh, a lot of stuff happening. Uh-huh. This is a slow, slow burn where it's just a bit eerie or a bit creepy, or there's just fear for the majority of the novel. It's only really at the very end that the horror comes in, you know, that stuff starts to happen. Okay. So what what this book is, we have a girl called Maud, and she's living with her, her father. And, you know, they're Victorian. This is written in, I think, 1864. So they've got that typical Victorian aloofness where, you know, she loves her dad, but they, you know, they're not open in their conversations <laughs> with each other. They live in a big mansion that they don't, uh, you know, even use half of the rooms, that kind of thing. And, you know, with a couple of servants. Uh-huh. And this isn't a spoiler, by the way. It happens almost at the beginning of the novel, but the father dies. Okay. So the idea is she has to go and live with her uncle Silas. Now, because they're in Victorian society, she's never met her Uncle Silas, even though he lives like a, a, an hour away. Like in the, in the you know, I, she's never. I, met I him. love that. It's always the same, isn't it? It's always like you know, there's some kind of hidden, sort of secret uncle, but he's just actually he's just in the next village. But it's just such a yeah, like he's just right over there, you know. Yeah, it's just right <laughs> it's just, there. I, I, you know, in a, in a in a car, you'd be there in ten minutes. You know? Yeah, it was. Is there all along? But like, you just never met him until you, all your parents die, and it's always something dramatic. Yeah. Okay. 
Yeah. So don't get me wrong. This is generic. Okay. okay? But what happens is, now I left out an important detail. She has a governess called Madame de la Rougière that she doesn't like. And a lot of the horror, a lot of the terror is based around her fear of this governess. Oh. And the governess doesn't really do an awful lot. She's just not nice to her. But, you know, that's, that's that builds up a lot of the terror. They send her packing. The dad dies. She goes to live with the uncle. And she's got a little uh, cousin. And the cousin is a very, you know, a country bumpkin, a yokel type. <laughs> um, they're right in the country. And they're not, sophist- they're not sophisticated like she is. She was raised like a lady. And uh-huh. these people are your yar yar type you know yokels and so it's said um, in dublin no as i said in ireland i mean i mean or not really no it is it is said it is said in england England. okay so they're out in uh, i don't know where they are yorkshire in the mirrors somewhere i don't don't think it's really made explicit um but she she's in a constant fear that madame de la rougiere will return somehow Mm -hmm. and also she's got a cousin lady nolis cousin monica Mm -hmm. who is a kind of a feminist character she's i'm not taking no nonsense i'm an outgoing brash humorous funny independent lady and that's that's her you know so she's a very strong character compared to these other two girls who are really quite quite uh, weak mm-hmm. but uncle silas you know he's just this old guy he's got health problems and things like that and a lot of the novel really as i say not a lot happens it's just there's a lot of creepiness she starts to feel trapped in his mansion and i should say that his mansion is even bigger than her mansion uh, technically she owns it because okay. uh, she got it in in her father's will but the uncle's allowed to live in it until he dies so it's his but he's kind of her tenant almost okay. but but he's also her guardian so it's a weird setup um but she feels trapped there and then it starts to be well is she trapped there is she not meant to leave what's happening it's getting uh-huh. a bit weird and things kind of progress as the novel goes on, and I'm not going to go into the ending, um, but the horror does kind of come right at, at you know at the end. Um, but it's it's a slow pace, but it's just a nice, enjoyable novel. Nothing special, nothing amazing, not especially memorable, but it is just nice to read. I did really, really enjoy reading it, and it was just nice to kind of get through. Uh, well, to be honest, it does sound like the kind of book I would like to read because I do like um, novels with um, with an atmosphere of. Uh, building up terror, terror building up and tension and unclarity, and it's like it remind it reminds me a bit of the um, of the Asper Papers uh, by um, Henry James. Am I getting it right? The Asper Papers. What's that? What's that Henry James uh, novel called again? You know the one I mean. Have you ever read it? Um, have you ever read this Henry James novella? about uh, a governess oh, i i don't think i have dude right so re- they're always about governesses they they love their governesses they, they certainly These love Victorians. the governess and it's not the aspirin paper sorry it's the turn of the screw i briefly mentioned the term just all the turn of the screw yeah of yeah course. have you read it no <laughs> it's fantastic it's really good <laughs> and it yet. sounds very similar in a sense it's all about the build-up it's all about the tension it's all about and you have to kind of maybe reread it as well and you don't know what's happening but it's about terror, basically. It's like it's a bit about the mental state of the governess and what she perceives, and you have to kind of like, uh, is she per- if she is what she's perceiving real or not? So that's the whole kind of point mm-hmm. of this little novella. So just just a quick side note, quick recommendation: The Turn of the Screw, a later novella by Henry James, eighteen ninety eight, around the time Dracula was uh, produced. Mm. So yeah, I'd, I'd like to read this novel actually. 
Sounds good. It's a nice one, and I don't have an awful lot more to say about it. The only other kind of social commentary I wanted to kind of make on it was, it's a weird lifestyle these people led. I mean, she's in this mansion with her uncle, and there's parts of the house that she's never seen and isn't isn't allowed to see that they're, like, locked off. And, you know, then she eventually gets into them, and it's like, oh, I'm I'm exploring the house. Like, that's a day's adventure, just exploring your own house, you know, that you've never been in. And at one point, and I'm only going to mention this because it's not integral to the story, but it's a very, very minor spoiler. At one point, they pretend they're taking her somewhere, and then they bring her back to the house at night, and they tell her it's a hotel. <laughs> and she believes them because she's never been in that part of the house before. That's mad. And now they just brought her back to her that own house. So but I, I see that a lot with uh, 19th century uh, British uh, literature, where it's just big descriptions of like the interiors, and that it seems to be a very British thing. That you just don't know your own house, your own mansion. That's so weird. It's the there's not just you know rooms she's not been in. I'm talking entire wings, like yeah. a whole quadrangle yeah. with a with a courtyard in the middle and and co- houses on all four sides, right. like an entire massive area that she's like, oh, I never saw this before. I've only been living here six months. You yeah. know what? That is mad. Yeah. Now do you have to say gothic it's... fiction, uh, traditional gothic fiction, um, as horror. Um, literature and genuine films uh not a great depiction of the girl protagonist is it it's kind of like the last girl uh it seems to be always like a very naive sort of female main character is that the impression you get? I mean, yeah I, yeah it is it's always the soft-spoken shy um kind of fish out of water female character that doesn't really know how to cope i, I don't know why but that's that's like the protagonist and then Nevertheless, she usually has a female counterpart, like a strong feminist friend who usually gets killed. So I'm interested about her uh, reading about her cousin, who you say is kind of feminist and wondering. Mm. So don't tell me, but I'm just wondering what happens. to. Well, I'm not going to give you any spoilers. I'm just going to mention that at some point there is some horror and that's all I'm going to (laughs) say. All right. I want to read it. So good. So what else did you read? The next the next book I read was The Wife of Sir Isaac Harmon by H.G. Wells. Ah, I, I have to I have to say, I've never read any H.G. Wells before. Okay. And the reason for this was that my idea of H.G. Wells was that it's a lot of um, sci-fi yeah. type stuff. And I sort of thought, well, that's not really my bag. You know, I don't know if I really want to get too into sci-fi. But I saw this one and I had a pretty girl standing around with pretty flowers on the cover, and I thought, well, that's something that I need in my life. So I got this, The Wife of Sir Isaac Harmon, you know. Um, This novel is essentially a feminist novel. Okay. I've also not heard of that. mm, I I had never heard of this book, um, I must say. It's similar length to the last one, just under 500 pages. The way it it starts out is, this was written... um, it, 18, um, no, 1914. Okay. So this is a World War One novel. Okay. And it's a lot of kind of suffragette type stuff and women's rights type mm-hmm. stuff, mostly in the second half. The first half, we get the, the backstory. So, so basically, um, Sir Isaac is just this chap who, um, I guess he's nouveau riche. He's just a, a businessman who's done... Uh, very well for himself but he's had to put a lot of other people out of business to get there so he's not a nice person and his wife is um ellen uh harman so there's this chap called mr brumley and he's a writer and he just lives in a pretty house you know and he just writes in the in the garden and writes in his pretty house and you know his wife's dead and okay yeah he's just a (laughs) traditional um he just writes about his books about his dead wife in their okay. house. Basically. I was going to say, I, I was going to say, I'd like an ideal lifestyle until you said the dead <laughs> wife. All right, okay. 
Yeah, I, I see. I slipped that in okay. afterwards. You know, I got you hooked, <laughs> yeah. and then no, you're you okay. Away. Um, and what happens is Lady Harmon comes to view his house, and he's going to sell or rent it, and then he gets to know them, and he gets to know Sir Isaac Harmon. Uh, Lady Harmon. The problem is she married when she was like seventeen. So she's not really experienced anything of life. Another fish out of water, shy kind of female protagonist. Okay. But she wants more. And she gets together with some other people. And again, there's Lady Beach Mandarin. There's this strong, outgoing, boisterous, you know, independent female type. And she introduces her to some other people. And they are feminists. Ooh. And she start, her husband is very controlling. In fact, her husband... Um, reads the taming of the shrew and basically says, "This is what I need to do. This is I need to get some of this going on in my in my relationship with my wife." We were actually talking uh, about and that tries earlier. Tries to yeah. go all shrew on her. Yeah. So <laughs> I, I have to apologize because we said we weren't going to read the taming of the shrew on the yeah. shrew, but then by stealth, H.G. Wells has uh, has brought it in. You know. But the good thing is, this is about overcoming that. This is about her trying to fight and resist and and overcome that sexism and get concessions from her husband. But you know what makes me really sad? This Mr. Brumley, he wants to rescue her. Okay. But he wants to rescue her so that he can marry her, and then he can have her. Uh, You know, he doesn't want her to be free. And he's, yes, he's much, much better than her current husband. Uh But but it's still not, it's not everything she maybe would have hoped, you know, and and I think she she does like him, but it's uh, kind of, well, I want you to get away from him, yeah. So that I can have yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. So it's again you know, kind there's still of like, that desire for ownership. So there's still kind of like she, she wants to be the, the new woman and kind of like get away from all the She wants to be the new yeah. woman. Exactly. And she wants to get away from that. And she starts, you know, rebelling and asking for concessions and, you know, petty crimes and encouraging strikes in her husband's factories and all this kind of stuff. Mm. Um and it and it's it's a, it's just a nice novel. I should say though, around the middle it, it, it lags. Okay. They could have maybe cut a hundred pages out. They just get into a lot of just nothing's really happening. Mr. Brumley is just thinking. I think it was fifty <laughs> pages of just Mr. Brumley thinking. All right, and he's you know just sort of giving a monologue on his idea of of feminism from the perspective of a rich okay. white man. You know, it's it's just a, it's a very strange uh, thing to include. That's what happens with some of these um, like established kind of male authors. I find they just kind of they they think they can just permit themselves like James Joyce and. Tolstoy, yeah, they, they can permit themselves 100 pages of their own philosophical treatise in the middle because <laughs> they always have like some yeah, idea. Like, that is that is what happens, yeah. All right. Um, but it, what, one thing they do, which is interesting, is um, in order to help their female workers who aren't earning money and who are depend, you know, maybe not uh, independent yeah. enough, they set up hostels for their employees to work in. Okay. So that gives them that little bit of independence. You can actually live here very cheaply, and then you can work and whatever. But of course, the husband says, that's fine. But now we need rules. Let's get a strict matron to run the hostels. And let's have no running, no talking, no visiting each other. Fines for rowdy behavior, you know. Okay, okay. And it's like, well, you can't fine people for, you know. And they say, these, these young ladies, they, I don't understand it. They will giggle. They will run. I don't understand it. They're running in the corridors. <laughs> Find them. Kick them out, you know. They just, okay. just the... Uh, these people have never experienced uh, like fun or, or you know, just jollity or, or any kind of emotion. I, I, so I don't get it. Okay, okay. Sounds interesting. Interesting. But so. yeah, and, and, and again, you know, we don't like to spoil the ending of anything. So I'm not going to tell you kind of how it all works out. But it's another one that was just apart from the the extensive kind of thoughts of Mr. Brumley in the middle. It's a nice, enjoyable read 
with a lot of kind of feminist thought thrown in and it's interesting to see where it ends up where, where what her destiny really is in the end does she get away from her husband does she you know just trade him in for another one um and one one little detail i'll give is at one point she asks for help from the feminists and oh. they they say no we can't we can't help you we don't the suffragettes they say you know we don't want you to um to leave your husband mm-hmm. because that would look bad for us. Okay. So we are we're looking for like small gains, and if we help you to do something rash, that will actually damage our overall movement. So that was kind of curious. Okay, so it's like different facets of um, how they dealt with the suffrage yeah. movement. Interesting. Okay, and you know he did write uh, mainly sci-fi, and like a sci-fi author, he had he has a lot of novels. He wrote a lot of novels. I mean, I think his first novel was the time, the time machine, but. Um, yeah. But, uh, you know, like the best sci-fi authors, they're usually man of like a lot of ideas who want to talk about this. Um, you know, again, like um, I would be a John Windham kind of fan. So John Windham, if you want a proper sci-fi where it, it also doesn't ramble, uh, but you want something mm-hmm. really philosophical British, uh, just John Windham from the 50s would be my kind of guy personally. But this book sounds interesting too, so I'll check it out. The Wife of yeah. Sir... I've, I've never much gone in for sci-fi. That's why I'd never read any H.G. Wells before. You know, I just I saw this one, and it's very clearly... I'll show you the cover here. Yes. Pretty Girl with Pretty Flowers. Oh, so yeah. It couldn't be less sci-fi, oh, yeah. you know, so that's why I went for it, you know. <laughs> okay, so The Wife of Sir Isaac Harmon by H.G. Wells. Cool. Mm. Oh, do you know what I forgot to do? I forgot to tell the listeners who is joining us, what? which mascot is joining us in the webcam chat this week. So the special zero access, no one is allowed in apart from us uh, webcam... We're being joined by little Alfred this week, oh, the teddy Alfred. bear. And uh, anyone who's on our Instagram will see little Alfred. He's always reading his books and getting up to, to mischief. So he's joining us on the on the live he, recording. He today. likes he likes the fame, you know. He likes the uh, he likes showing himself, the posing. He's a big poser, little Alfred, isn't he? He's a big poser. Do you want me to confess? Shall I confess to a minor crime? What? Little Alfred was not purchased by me. Uh, I I rented a house uh, several years back, and Little Alfred came with the house, really? and Little Alfred left with me when I when I finished my uh, tenancy there. Good so lord! All right, okay. I, so... I, I I I kidnapped Little Alfred. <laughs> kidnapped Little. He was obviously very fond of you. Obviously wanted to stay. You have a you have a he did. You have some uh, similar interests like reading books. So there you go. <laughs> On to the next book. We're racing through these. The third book, I couldn't help it. I had to go back to my good old friend, Dickens' deputy. It's uh, Wilkie Collins. Uh, and it's an 1862 book, No Name. Again? Uh, I'd never heard of this book, another by gothic, the way. Well, because he's, again, famous. Another gothic, gothic one, okay. yeah. In that kind of period. But you know what? This is this is Wilkie Collins' most Dickensian book. Mm, okay. This is him, I think, emulating Dickens with some of the characters that are in this book. All right, okay. Um, and let's remind the listeners that Wood Collins is famous nowadays for The Woman in White because of the film adaptation with Daniel Radcliffe, right? From Harry Potter. Yeah, the the new Hammer, the, the Return of Hammer Horror, that was. Oh, yeah, exactly, yeah. Uh, and The Moonstone is also uh, like the, considered the first um, like proper English detective novel. So in 1860. Hold on, hold on. That film was The Woman in Black, I think. I think oh, right, okay, film. was it okay? No, so I think... The Woman in White, I think, didn't get a film, but it is it is a well known book. It is a famous book. Ah, I don't think so. All right, okay, uh, okay, probably right. Yeah. Uh, so the Woman in White, um, yeah. Anyway, the Woman in White um, is famous for that, nevertheless, and for the Moonstone. Yeah, you're right. Sorry, the Woman in Black is the Radcliffe one. Yeah, so, and 
the Moonstone is the first the first detective novel, the first proper investigative detective mystery novel. There you go. So there, you go. so that's Wilkie Collins for you. And this book is called. So Wilkie Collins could be groundbreaking. This book is called No, no Name. Name. All right. And I'll explain why in a moment. This is a long one. Um, in theory, it was around 550 pages, but my God, I almost needed a magnifying glass to read it. The tiniest <laughs> little text. I think this could have been, you know, seven or 800 pages if they'd, if they'd typed it a decent font size. <laughs> and my copy of this book, the copy I was physically reading, was printed in 1898. Wow. That's awesome. Yeah, it told me that. Yeah. And the book was literally crumbling around me as I read it. You know, the spine was falling off, the covers being super glued back on. Oh, you God. Know, impossible. I, ha- I had the same experience when I was reading Ulysses by James Joyce. It really was mm. uh, from the 60s, the copy. Uh, so, um, so just not, 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 not that it was um, after its publication, but like, it only really became popular around the 60s uh, worldwide. And literally, I was reading the whole thing, 700 pages, and the pages, each time I, I flicked through the next page, it just fell off. It just fell off. And it was a strange experience, isn't it? Like when you got a book that just like, yeah. it's dying now and you're just reading. My my floor was full of little crumbs of book spine oh that were just God. fragmenting into hundreds of pieces every time I, you know, picked up the book. That's crazy. <laughs> it's a, it's a but, fun experience. To, to t- but it's lovely. That nice, good quality paper, that kind of thick card paper that they used. And it, it's 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 lovely. But the the idea of this book is, I'm to be honest, I'm only going to cover plot details from about the first quarter of the book because this is one that i highly recommend people just go and read i don't want to spoil it okay um although what i say is going to sound like it's a lot of spoilers but it's not it's just the opening of the book so there's this girl called magdalene and her sister nora and they live with um their governess miss garth always the governess (laughs) miss garth and their two parents their parents are still alive let me just remind you this is and they just have a yeah, this is all British fiction you're talking I'd... about. That's a very British theme. Like, I don't really read that is, in, yeah. in other kind of literature too much. You know, it's so British in the 19th century. Yeah, sorry. yeah it is. Go ahead, yeah. Maybe maybe a little bit in French, yeah. but not, not a lot really elsewhere. Yeah. But um, so what happens is they're just a happy little family, and they just go to the theatre, and they just have a nice time, and the, the, the dad's so kind and attentive to his daughters, and it just paints this picture of a lovely, happy little gloriously happy little family and then they get struck by tragedy and then they get struck by tragedy and then they get struck by a third tragedy oh my god so basically what happens is mum gets pregnant even though she's quite old and it's not really safe for her to be pregnant at that age and you know in victorian society then the dad dies then the mum and the baby die and then the will is invalid and the sisters are disinherited and become orphans so wow. they just get hit by everything at once. And I say this kind of happens at the beginning, sort of. So it's not All at the beginning. Yeah. This is like the intro, essentially. Wow. This is the first fifth of the novel at most. And they, so all this tragedy strikes. Mm. And the reason it's called No Name is because they have no name. It turns out the dad and the mom didn't marry until after the kids were born. And in English law at that time, that made them orphans. Wow. Even though their parents were later married, they were not legally what? entitled to any inheritance. True? And they were not even allowed to use their surname. They were just nobody. Really? Is that, that true? They didn't know that. So that was yes. a big, kind of a, a Victorian law at the time. And Wilkie Collins goes a lot of detail. There's a lot of legal stuff in this as well. It's been very, very carefully written and crafted to produce this exact circumstance wow. uh, for his plot to work. That's mad, yeah. And it's set um, in uh, the 1840s, right? Even though it was written in 1860s. Yes. Yeah, okay. 
Crazy. So what happens is we, we get the one girl, Nora, who basically says, well, that's it. I'm just a submissive type and, you know, whatever. I'll go become a governess because the only career path available. <laughs> Seems to me, yeah. Just just govern. Just just governess. <laughs> that's the, all, all women did. I'd... <laughs> <laughs> pretty, pretty much, oh, wow, yeah. okay. And that, then it, Magdalene. Yeah. Magdalene is the rebel, the feisty one. And she's like, no, I will not. You know, she wants to be an actress, actually, and oh. that's scandalous. Yeah. You know, what if people find out that you're acting? That's, you know, oh, goodness. Um, <laughs> and she gets together with a certain Captain Rag, who is a, a, some kind of distant relative of her mother's, a very Dickensian character, um, sort of shabby genteel, would, Dickens would call him, the kind of dressing in his shabby suits and... A bit of a, a bit, a bit of a gangster. Um, he calls himself a swindler. Uh-huh. You know, he just goes around kind of swindling people, and that's his whole vibe. And she gets together with him, and then I'm not going to kind of say any more. Okay. But basically, her mission in this novel is: I want that inheritance that where our father intended on mm. leaving us, but that you know loopholes in the law have cheated from mm. us. And I don't care how I get that; it's gone to a, another distant relative, and I don't care what I have to do; I will get that money. Okay. And that is the that is the rest of the book. But it's a curiously written book. It's divided into eight scenes, like a play. Oh, like a play, okay. But it must be the longest play ever because it's a massive book. <laughs> and what's very curious, and a bit of ingenuity and a bit of creativity from from old uh, Wilkie Collins again, in between each scene, it becomes an. Let's see if I can pronounce this right. Epistol an epistolary yeah. novel. You know the the novels that are just letters. Exactly. So in between each act. It says, now here's how the story continues in the mail. And then we have some letters, and then we start the next act. And thank goodness he did, because if he tried to to continue with the narrative, the book would have been even longer again. These letters cover a lot of ground. Hmm. And each scene takes place in a different different place, in a different town, because Magdalene is moving around in her quest to find people and find the money, and each scene has different characters coming in and out of it. Those sound very Um, Dickensian. And it's, it's it's a superbly, superbly crafted novel, and that's and you don't know until really near the end how it's going to go. You don't know if she's going to succeed or not. And it's I really, really, really enjoyed it. Wow. Okay. And funny enough, it was um, it was serialized in Dickens magazine, wasn't it? All the year round. Yes. Before all the year round, Dickens had two main serialized magazines. All the year round and Household Works were two that he ran himself after previously getting published in other people's and wilkie collins always submitted you know material to those yeah and that's a very dickens kind of story isn't it like you know orphans and then they they go around like victoria in yes. england meeting characters i mean that's that's what he did from the, the, the get-go from pickwick papers it was more yes. it was more light-hearted and then also deeper it goes more tragic later on in his work interesting so I, yeah i read that I've read maybe, I guess, like five Wilkie Collins novels. And in my experience, you know, so far anyway, this is his most wow. Dickens novel. And you've you know? read every Dickens book there is. So, every Dickens, yeah. yeah. So like, uh, not quite. I missed, I missed one. He wrote A Child's History of England, oh, yeah. which was actually used as a history textbook for children in Victorian schools. So not a novel, just a kind of a history of England. Okay. Uh, and I ordered it and the wrong thing arrived and then I never <laughs> ordered it again because I thought I don't need to read a you know, Victorian textbook. You know, it's not actually enough. But I've read all his novels, short stories, um, uh, you know, all, all his and, fiction. And this yeah. was very influenced by his. Do you think even the writing style was similar to Charles Dickens in this book, No Name? 
In this one, I would say, yeah. Okay. And especially with the characters. Yeah, Captain Rye just came right out of Dickens, you know. Okay. It's, um, it's nice to see, because the thing is, Wilkie Collins was clearly influenced by Dickens uh, as his kind of protege, but then he does this cool thing with a little splitting it into acts yeah, like and having bit. the letters in between. Yeah, you know, he's very creative in his own in his own way, and it's it's a shame that he doesn't get that. I mean, we said already the Moonstone is the first kind of proper mystery yeah. novel. You know, he he doesn't get the cre- the credit that he deserves. Will he, he, he doesn't because he's always a minor classic kind of author. Never like no nothing too big. But yeah, it does sound like an, and I, I and I want to get to know more of his stuff. So um, thanks, yeah, that sounds like another interesting novel. All right. And on to the last one, and this will be quick. The last one is our Guilty Pleasure uh, novel of the month. It's The Breakdown uh, by B.A. Paris. Now, I've read other B.A. Paris. This is not her best work. Okay. Um, what this book is, is a clever title. Now, the, the title may be the most clever part of the book. Okay. Um, but The Breakdown refers initially to a car breaking down then to her mental health breakdown, and then to her relationship breakdown. Uh, so the title was very well chosen for the novel. Yeah. Um, I, this one, I, I read this literally in two days, less than two days, like a day and a half. Uh, it's a 400-pager, but it's one of those, you know, easy, short page, just page turners, you know, those kind of thrillers that, that are, you know, popular fiction at the moment. This is 2017. Mm-hmm. Um, basically what happens is this girl, Cass... He's driving home, and she sees another car pulled in. And she thinks, should I stop and see if that lady needs help, or should I not? And she doesn't. And she goes home, and then it turns out the person in that car got murdered. Mm. And then it turns out the person in that car was an acquaintance of hers that she didn't realize. Okay. So she starts to get these phone calls, and she starts to worry that, oh, no, the murderer saw me, you know, pull in and then decide not to help. So now the murderer's after me, and she has a total breakdown. She's, like, on medication. She's on the sofa 24-7. She's not going to work. She's uh, starting to see things and hallucinate things. She just has a proper, complete breakdown. Okay. Um these type of novels only ever have about three or four characters in them. So there's always like a friend and the husband. And then there's always suspicion that the friend is, you know, having relations with the husband in every novel in this genre, like every single one. But it kind of goes into that. But you know what? They're really enjoyable. They're really short to read. You just flick through them. You can't put them down. And they do have twists. And, you know, yes, you always kind of see some of the twists coming. Page one, you're like, oh, yeah, I know what's going to happen, you know. Because it's just some stuff is obvious, okay. but other stuff is not. Okay. And there there are other twists that you don't see coming, and it it does keep you hooked. And obviously, I don't want to spoil those twists because the whole point of this type of book is that quick roller coaster ride of just what's going to happen next. Yeah. Twist, 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 boom. So I don't really want to go too much into the the details of it, but it was it was it was nice. So it's Cass, her friend Rachel, and her husband Matthew. Um, and one or two side characters show up from time to time, but those are kind of the main three. Okay. And it's just about her her breakdown that she basically has trying to figure out what's happening with this with this murder, and then weird stuff starts to happen. As I say, she's getting the phone calls and everything, and she just has to figure out what's going on, basically. Okay. Uh, and that's that's that one. Uh, if you like that kind of stuff, you know. It's my guilty pleasure for the month. I did enjoy it. So if, you, if you've read any B.A. Paris, um, then I might I might cover next time one of her other books. She read uh, Behind Closed Doors her, was her, her first book. Her hit. 
her million million seller, you know, hit. It was her first book, um, right? I think 2016. I believe it was her first book. Okay. Yeah. That uh, she's, you know, all her stuff's relatively recent. Yeah. And again, I reiterate, when I say guilty pleasure, I'm in no way yeah, uh, yeah. being critical of these books. They're not high literature. Sorry, they're not Lufanu or Dickens, but they're really enjoyable yeah. books. So that's why they're my guilty pleasure. I get it. I get it. Yeah. So yeah, I like that. I like the sound of her. Uh, B.A. Powers, The Breakdown. Cool. Well, I thought I mentioned uh, the books I've been reading then uh, this month. I've been doing a lot of simultaneous reading, and I don't actually do that, to be honest. But it's just the kinds of books I've been reading, and they're all very different. So it's a bit of a different kind of twist now. So I've been, first of all, first of all, I want to say that I've been tackling a Soviet sci-fi, talking about sci-fi. Ooh. And uh, because um, I lived in Russia for half a year, and um, my daughter is Russian as well, so like I get to talk with her in Russian. And basically, I thought, well, you know, like it's kind of hard with lockdown. She lives in Russia, and I thought, well, uh, why not just combine, uh, you know, studying Russian to talk with her, and then with literature. And to be honest, though, Tolstoy, Dostoevsky, that's obviously very hard stuff. So I thought I'd go with something a bit simpler and I thought I'd read this book called um, The Amphibian Man, Shilovic Amphibia. And it's basically a sci-fi from the Soviet era by Alexander Romanovich Beryaev. And the idea is that sci-fi in Soviet Russia was, uh, you know, quite a big thing, you know, adventure novels and children literature because you couldn't be obviously too critical of the government. And this has happened a lot in different stages of uh, history. We just basically have a repressive uh, society and repressive government and literature is still surviving and even flourishing sometimes, but through uh, indirect ways. So obviously it's the Soviet uh, literature is sometimes called the silver age of Russian literature. And it's not because some people think it wasn't that good, but you have The Master Margarita, which is probably my favorite uh, Russian novel ever by Mikhail Bulgakov, uh, written in the late 30s, I think. So, I mean, you have plenty of good stuff, but it's very different to Dostoevsky and Chekhov and Tolstoy. Um, although, funny enough, you have another Tolstoy. I don't think he's related. There is another Tolstoy who's also a sci-fi author oh. from the Soviet era. And what I can say about this is that it does not tend to be high literature. We just talked about there was nothing wrong about it. It tends to be something big into their adventure novels. It's it's a bit of escapism, a lot of escapism. Let's be honest. There's a lot of escapist literature in Soviet Russia, and uh, nothing nothing wrong with that. They tend to be short novels. The thing is, they do tend to be very superficial sometimes, and not at all political because they don't obviously can't get into that. Uh, but you do have a lot of great children classics coming out of that era. So love good stuff. And Master Margarita is a very political novel, but behind a facade of like magic fairy tale story. And it wasn't published at the time. So there was a lot of stuff happening. Oh, Dr. Trivago as well. So there was a lot of stuff happening in Soviet Russia that just wasn't published in Russia. But Alexander Romanovich Belyaev was known as uh, the Soviet. Uh, answer to Jules Verne or the Russian Jules Verne because he wrote adventure novels just like Jules Verne did with like mm-hmm. um, it was always adventure novels from the 19th century like an, a journey into the middle of the earth uh, and as well as a journey into the center of the earth journey to the center of the earth yeah thanks yeah 
Now, I really enjoyed it on 16, and there's some philosophical aspects to it as well. And the same with Bill Yaev. It's an essentially an adventure novel, Chilavik Amphibia. I haven't finished it yet, I have to say, though. So I can't tell you the ending because I just don't know. Um, it's not necessarily uh, life-changing or groundbreaking. Uh, what I can say is, though, it's an easy read. It's a pleasant read. It has been translated, just as the, the Amphibian Man. It's about a group of divers uh, set in Argentina. And now that's quite typical too, strange enough, that in Soviet Russia, in the Soviet Union, they'd often be set in any place that isn't the Soviet Union. Right. Both kind of getting away from the Soviet Union. And also, I think they found it safer. So as long as they didn't set it in Russia, they couldn't really say anything too critical about it. And you have a few, you have quite a lot of novels appearing at that time, like set in Africa and South America, uh, even in like, uh, far east they said Argentina and it's a bit funny because I do speak Spanish and it's a bit amusing kind of like reading the Russian description of, of a very Latin American thing and uh, but it, it works out it's well done what's good about this novel I say is not just that it's about an amphibian man literally so a man who actually lives under sea and he's being in this kind of like he's just kind of like it's just half amphibian, half man. I can't get too much into it. But the divers, they really want to exploit him. So there is that, a bit of a communist sort of thing going on. You know, kind of like he's going, okay. he's going to be exploited because he has obviously this gift for diving. They, they're searching for pearls. They're pearl divers. And it's about to get like, you know, like he's going to be manipulated. But more than that, was not necessarily groundbreaking. I do like uh, the atmosphere of the novel. So if you want to read this novel, it's about the atmosphere. So just like Gothic fiction, we just talked about um, what I want to read from this Lefano novel you're describing, or even the Collins novel, is what the, well, is the atmosphere really what I'm interested in. So it, it depicts a really yeah. nice atmosphere of Argentina, basically by the ocean. And then you do get actually, and I love when I read this, when I read a book and I get like a physical kind of reaction almost so like like you know sand or sunshine or snow and basically i really i really can almost smell this the salt coming out of the amphibian man just by the description of um these divers uh, on a ship diving into the sea looking for pearls and just that's it a lot of it's said during the night as well so it's very kind of like um, it's very beautiful it's a beautiful atmosphere so i highly recommend it also, just to get into into this whole kind of um, like silver age of so of Russian literature, so not many people actually do. They're not very interested. They like the Dostoevsky and Tolstoy. But if you want to get a silver age of literature, uh, this might be a good start of Belyaev, Alexander Romanovich, Belyaev, the Amphibian Man, and um, yeah, I just like um, yeah, I think. Beautiful atmosphere. I really recommend it. Really enjoying it. I haven't finished it. Just reading it slowly. It's beautiful. Um, what I've been reading also is... I don't know where to start because I'm so excited about the next three parts. I'm going to talk uh, about the book that my dad is writing. So it's um, at the moment. I can't give the title away. can't give that much away. But basically, he just finished his, um, his third novel. Uh, but he's very excited about it. He thinks it's like his first true novel, and I see why. I see why he says that. It's essentially it's a really uh, well-paced 
and well-written um, um, relatively short novel about basically poor town. So it's basically about a district, a fictional district in Dublin. Uh, basically where, let's just say, like it's, it's, a, it's the lowest part of society getting together. The Kenjin, perhaps a bit, and we talked with my dad that he loves Dickens, but there, it really yeah. isn't that much humor in this book. And it's really, really, really dark because it gets into like themes like the flesh trades and drug trafficking and it's all about the crime. It, 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 there's a lot of parts to it which is just basically the Godfather-esque, but also Breaking Bad. And I prefer Breaking Bad because it's my dad, he does write a lot about, he writes a lot of moral tales, basically, about like moral dilemmas. And it's basically two parts. And I can't say too much, as I said. And one is about, one is about uh, it starts off with a, a decent, I would say, police officer, a woman who's very frustrated. Now, she's decent 100%, I can't say. Uh, all these characters are ambiguous, I would say, in the book. Um, it starts off great. It's very noir. He loves his film noir. I can because I know my dad, so I can see like the influences of film noir and even westerns in this novel, uh, even like the western kind of themes. Mm-hmm. That's all I want to say. I just want to build it up a bit, maybe. Um, he's also releasing a film called um, No Explanation, which is about COVID, uh, which is about two people interacting and trying to be creative during COVID, and it really depicts Ireland's northern ireland's um answer to COVID, which which you've seen now uh dean uh living there but i actually wasn't aware because i've been in spain it's been it's a completely different atmosphere after after listening yeah. after watching that movie so i just want to tell you guys it's it will be released with a soundtrack an album basically at the limelight which is just which is just basically the soundtrack of no explanation and i really love both and so and there is a novel coming out so a bit of um, advertising for my dad. Now I can just say this though. No, I, I thought this was no citation. Now that's the confusing part. Like my dad's being very creative during COVID. No citation was a play that was just about to be released in the Lyric Theater in Belfast, and then COVID came, so it was going to be played. Okay. Right. Yeah. And this is no explanation. Okay. It's a bit like a. Um, it's not. It's not. It's not a sequel, uh, but we can say it's a thematic sort of follow-up. We can say. Right. Yeah. And it's uh, it's actually, it's actually great. It's actually great, and I love it because it sometimes it feels like uh, like a big long music video, even though it's not really a musical. Uh, but there are not really any words in it, so that's great. Uh, but what I can say about this novel, just to talk about my dad, it's that it's very um, tragic. I find the second part, which is just called Paddy. So we talked about the police officer, but Paddy basically is the gang, the 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 gang lord of. Um, of the crime world but how he turns into this villain is what's really interesting in the novel and you you end up being having so much compassion for this scumbag basically but he's only a scumbag because of cause and effect and my dad is fascinated by this kind of cause and effect theory yeah so i love that well, that's very interesting i would like to have a conversation with kieran about this uh, sometime because i mean i as a philosophy kind of student, as a moral philosophy student, uh, which is what how, how we met, incidentally, yeah, exactly. um, you know, I have a lot of, of interest in the cause and effect, which is something that um, that uh, Hume talked about a lot. 
But if you take cause and effect to its its natural conclusion, you start to find it very difficult to actually apply moral yeah, guilt yeah, or yeah, blame. Definitely. You know, when when you realize that everything is just caused by things outside of their control at the end of the day. Oh, d- definitely right. That's the whole point of this novel. The whole point of this novel is like he just can't help. He he can't help being in this situation. This is just he is the scumbag because of certain events that happened to him, and it's it just yeah. starts off with him like his. Yeah, his, he loses, let's just say, his family at the beginning and it just starts off with a cause chain reaction and it's it's absolutely great. So I can't say more on that, but um, I, I haven't... Well, I can't, re- I can't wait to read that one myself yeah. now. I can't it's wait. been a while since I've been so emotionally involved in the novel. I think the last time was um, uh, in, in the time of the hero. Um, uh, basically, the novel I talked about in the first episode by Mario Vargas Llosa which is basically uh, called, it's called in Spanish, La Ciudad y los Peros. Um, yes. Now, it's very similar. You see, like, I want to just briefly mention that because that book has some similarities as this book because in the time of the hero by Marius Vargas Llosa is set in basically an institution for like, for like these boys, like in the 60s in Peru and it's all very military and it's like terrible stuff happening. And basically it has one character called the Jaguar and the Jaguar is a scumbag. But why is he a scumbag? Again, it's a cause and effect. And, he, and I can't say too much, but he, for me, is the person who stays in my heart the most, the Jaguar, the villain of the novel. And like I have the most compassion for him. And as the same with my dad's novel, Paddy is the one that stays with me. I actually, I've been thinking about him every day since I read that novel. And I just, I, ha- I haven't finished it yet because it's so emotionally kind of like sometimes disruptive. Plus, my dad wrote it, so it's a bit extra emotional. But I can just say that mm. it's, it's a great read. So I'm looking forward to it, it being out there. So awesome. I mentioned in the- well, we should recommend to everyone to listen to episode three. That's the episode that we spoke at length yeah. with your dad about his work in general. Exactly. So if anyone is interested and hasn't heard that, go back and, and check out that yeah, episode. Yeah, Karen Burke, check it out. Um, and, and what else? Um, so I know we're um, – don't want to get too much um, – talk too much about this one actually because this is a book you might be interested in knowing that i am going to be reading for the for over a year from now on and i haven't done that before because um uh, my partner elisa got me into this book because she likes to listen to dr wayne dyer and he's basically like this um you can call him a spiritual leader you can call him a philosopher i prefer to call him a philosopher actually so he's basically this guy who just thought a lot about how to live properly in the modern age and he just died recently uh anyway i uh, love the guy and he really talked about this book called the Tao te ching and the Tao te ching is a book by lao tzu or lao tzu who's basically uh he was a, basically an old chinese man uh 2500 years ago and he just wrote this book about how to live life and that's it. And it's, it's, I think it's the most translated book after the Bible, or was it the most, the widely read, most widely read book after the Bible? Wow. Um, but not too many people know about it, but it's just like, I think it, they mean all through the years because it's been consistently kind of popular, even though it might not be bestseller. Yeah, yeah. And it really was important in uh, Asia. 
and it's a great book. I PJ, I I always I always thought you had high moral integrity, but you've you've lied to me. You told me that you didn't read so much, and you've read quite a lot this month. I have. It's it's been quite a, the very short kind of things, I suppose. And it's something. Mm. And this one and the next book are things that I'm just reading, like as we go along throughout the year, mm-hmm. because the way uh, Doctor Wayne Dwyer recommended, Dwyer recommended, uh, check him out, Doctor Wayne Dwyer. Um, is like he just meditated on this book one verse at a time. It's a book consisting of 82 verses and right. very short. Um, are they poems? Yeah, you can say they're poems. I don't really consider them poems, but I, you can't consider them poems. But I think they're more like just philosophical verses that have been a challenge for people to translate because they're so abstract they're so extremely abstract and like basically you read one verse and you don't actually understand you read it again you actually meditate on it and you just go through this one at a time dr wayne Dyer recommends five days for each verse and i've been doing this so we've been actually and we're only in the second verse so we've been actually like meditating five days on each verse and trying to find a, a relaxed time and like i started reading this when i was i was in the cave for a few days told you about that this month and mm-hmm. more time off and just in the mountains four hours away from me walking and i just meditated there on the cave top of the mountain on the first verse and it's really been like uh mind-blowing i really love the Tao Te Ching because it's just a great read honestly it is just a great read it's just one verse at a time but it's actually really fascinating and so densely philosophical so densely philosophical that people don't really understand 100 percent yet what's going on and this is where Taoism comes from, or Taoism. Although I, I right. hear that Taoism sort of um, is just a deviation of it. Some people think it's not really the Tao Te Ching. So I can't say. I'm just reading the original text, and it's really it's, it's available online, as it should be. At a million translations, the, my favorite one so far is by Ursula Le Guin, who wrote one of my favorite series of books called um, The Earth Sea Novels. Uh, have you ever heard of them, Dean? I don't think so. Uh, no. Very dense fantasy books from the 60s moving onwards. Uh, and the first one's called The Wizard of, Wizard of Earth Sea, which might be the trippiest fantasy book, maybe a bit more for teenagers ever, about a world of water and islands. So that's my kind of thing. And she's very Buddhist, actually. And I suppose um, she, she's very sort of, there's a very Eastern quality to her work. She grew up in an was an anthropological dad, and she decided to translate the Tao Te Ching herself, even though she's American. And that... is is it is this is this related to Tales from Mercy, the the Ghibli film, or is that a coincidence? Yes, it's related to the Ghibli film. Like that's an adaptation of okay. the film. And right, yeah. Anyway, um, she translated that text, and it's 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 my favorite translation so far, um, because she also tried to do it a bit more less a bit more for the women i suppose a slight slightly feminist translation uh, but there are many translations online i'm actually reading them several languages to get a better understanding as well and i just go through them i have six translations and i just like meditate on it so ha- give it a try guys the Tao te ching it's called by lao tzu uh, which means basically the old child or the old master because it's the same Chinese sign, mm-hmm. master and sign. And um, yeah, anyway, um, 
I feel tempted to read out the first verse of the Tao Te Ching. Is that too much, Dean? Or uh, no, go ahead. Time? Okay. So this is the first verse of the Tao Te Ching, and it. But this is really recommended to read it by yourself. I'm just saying. Anyway, first verse. And this is the Ursula Le Guin translation. First verse. The way you can go isn't the real way. The name you can say isn't the real name. Heaven and earth begin in the unnamed. Names the mother of the 10,000 things. So the unwanting soul sees what's hidden. And the ever-wanting soul sees only what it wants. Two things, one origin, but different in name, whose identity is mystery. Mystery of all mysteries, the door to the hidden. First verse of the Tao. If that seemed nonsensical to you, um, yeah, it's something you have to reread. And an essential component of this philosophical text is that if you understand the Tao, you don't understand it. That's actually the mm-hmm. that's actually the main component. It's very important. You get it. If you think you understand the Tao, which means the way in old in Chinese, it's if you think you understand the path of life, you have to revise it. You obviously didn't get it because you're not supposed. You didn't get it. Good. You're not supposed to understand it. All right. Nice. And we should say as well, actually, if you go to booksboys.com, uh, you know, in the show notes, obviously you'll be able to find, if you're not sure about any of the books we've mentioned or how to spell anything, it's all going to be in the show notes for every episode. Uh, and you can obviously see those notes anywhere you listen. But the good thing about going to our website is there'll also be links where you can uh, you can actually find the books themselves if you wish to, to take up any of our recommendations. Awesome. PJ, it's time for a, for a quick ad break. Awesome. Do you know that this month... Books Boys are sponsored by the Traveling Books on Tape Library. Plug in, listen, stay a few hours, leave. <laughs> so traveling Books on Tape. Because we don't, want, uh, we don't want audiobooks. We don't want any, any uh, you know, <laughs> iPhones. You've got to go into a Traveling Books on Tape Library. You go in, you sit down in a seat, plug in, listen to some books on tape for a, an extended <laughs> period of time. And then, you know, inconveniently be stuck there during that period of time. <laughs> And then have to leave, and then wait a year till the traveling lorry comes lovely, back to your town. It's a lovely again, gypsy-like so. little caravan kind of coming. It is lovely, <laughs> awesome. And we're also quickly going to hear an ad from one of our fellow podcasts on the TNC network. Okay, do you want to go first? I wanted to do a princess world. People can pick a day and then that day doesn't exist anymore. It's amoeba world. That you have to be in the presence of another person to stay alive. Oh, I want to do an honor-bound and honor-driven society. That when someone dies, their ashes get turned into tattooing. I want to do a vampires and werewolves world. People who are seasonal. So let me explain. I think it must have been around Christmas time or something because it's Merry Prisms. For goddess whose domain is desperation. Time travel theme park. My second idea was a train story. A story on a train. Belladonna? You know what that is? Nope. Big trees. Big trees. Big trees. Welcome to The Sky Machine, a collective world-building podcast about dynamic, fantastical and concise storytelling where in each episode we create a new original world and a short story to go along with it. And you get to join us for the ride.
That's Not Gunner Productions podcast. And I also wanted to mention lastly that, so yeah, these are all kinds of, um, this is all very simultaneously reading. I've been reading these three things simultaneously. And uh, and again, the Tao Te Ching is not supposed to be read. It's supposed to be meditated on. So, But the thing that I've been going through consistently anyway for the past few months is just because uh, I always read poems. So that's something I always read. And I've been getting really deep into the German poetry mentioned this before because i'm half german and um but i also just have here a i'll show it to you dean it's a this is the penguin book of german verse it's an old copy from mm-hmm. the 60s and yeah and i love this because pe- the peng- penguin actually releases a lot of um a lot of parallel poetry and i love that so i do have several volumes of french poetry and this is was given to me by friends and at first, I think I was a bit skeptical because I was like, oh, right, but I don't really need the English translation. But I actually do like having the English translation and the original text because this really goes back to like the first German text ever. And it's like, what are they actually saying in old German with like different letters? And it's, it's a bit mad. And I want to briefly mention about German poetry. I mentioned this before that the essence of German poetry was Goethe. Heinrich Heine, if you're getting into German poetry, you're probably starting in late nine, eight, late 18th century. So pre-romantic era, around the French Revolution time, perhaps a bit earlier, with Goethe, who wrote Faust. So that's the most important play in German literature, considered. Yeah. Right, about the devil. And it's, uh, yeah, anyway. Uh, the idea is, though, that German literature in general not, is in its essence, kind of nationalist. And of course, you get the dark side of Nazi uh, Nazism. You see, Nazism, I'm afraid, is the disease that arose from this nationalism. But the nationalism wasn't a, a bad thing because you had countries back then that weren't countries yet. So Germany and Italy, they were not countries. They were nations coming together, talking about it, you know, reading Karl Marx, for example, and other texts. And saying, look, we we want some revolutions, you know. So that's why you got all these revolutions around 1848, like of like countries wanting to become countries or countries wanting to change, and or Catalonia wanting to separate from Spain, some of, uh, or and all of Latin America. Okay, and the idea is basically just like in the U.S. around that time um, that the German. Germans started to want to form a German identity, just like Americans wanted to form an American identity. And this is a very interesting, interesting period because these are considered the, it's like the golden age of German poetry, at least, and literature. And um, so I just, rather than like going through all these poets, was I was I might was in the next few months. Um, I want to focus on just uh, on just one or two. And now, why should you read, first of all, the classic Johann Wolfgang von Goethe, Faust? Why should you read Faust in all his other poems? Because he's basically started uh, the first ever proper German poems in a sense of like of, of a German kind of flavor, of identity, before it became a bit too much with uh, Nazism. Uh, the idea is that he started this uh, pride in being German. And uh, this is something that the Germans have lost. They're not proud of being Germans. In my experience, Germans don't like being Germans because of what Hitler did. 
Um, so the idea is that there was this pride in, in like having just forming a nation together. And these are really some excellent poems. And Goethe is great, but I want to read out Heinrich Heine, who's a proper romanticist poet. And romanticism is an essentially, a, it's, it's really like, it's a very German no, a notion. It's a German notion of like wandering in the forest, in the mountains of like finding the poet inside yourself and then finding the inner child. And um, yeah, there's a sense of nostalgia often because they often that's that's what romantic is, you know. It's often harkens back to the golden days, whatever that was for Germany. Usually medieval times, actually. Sometimes they mm-hmm. to talk about. And yeah, this one's a very romanticist poet. With its flaws, the flaws are is often very. It's very it's very man based. Not much space for the woman, sadly. Right, right. It's very man based. Man is the is the is the big guy, and um, not the woman, and he's the artist. That is a bit sort of tiring. Uh, but Heinrich Heine, look it up, guys. Heinrich Heine, because he's the most playful of these poets. And this is called In der Fremde in Exile. And I'm going to leave you with just that, just some food for thought to just check out some foreign poetry in general and different languages, parallel text. And this is just one example during poetry. I also love French poetry in particular. But anyway... In exile, and this is interesting because it's about a guy who's not in his whatever German state at the time and missing. So that's very typical of this time in Europe uh, in like uh, Victorian time as well. In exile. Once upon a time, I had a fine country of my own where I was at home. The oaks grew tall there, the violets beckoned gently. It was a dream. It kissed me in German and said in German, it's hard to believe how good it sounded, the words, I love you. But it was only a dream. That's it. That's a short poem. So guys, just since you've read a German poem, we should mention to everyone, just last week we put out a bonus episode with Sun from The Written Word, and we talked about poet, you read a German poem on that, but we talked about uh, other poems as well, including uh, some of hers and some of yours. So that's something awesome. that everyone should should check out as well. Yeah, and and she's a very good poet, and I uh, really liked her, uh, how she talked about poetry and what her thoughts are. So yeah, check out her podcast and check out her poems, definitely. And just on that note, I think I hear the telephone ringing. Do you mind if I check oh. this one? Oh, okay. Go ahead. Jeez, who's that? Hello, you through the books, boys. Dean's on the line. Who have we got? Hi, it's Carolyn. I'm Carolyn Hobday. Carolyn Hobday. Welcome to Books, Boys. Um, why don't you tell the listeners a little bit about yourself? Um, so I'm a reformed um, HR director. I left the corporate world and I have written a book called All the Twats I Met Along the Way. It's the first of my Twats trilogy and it's um, a memoir about um, my life from sort of about my mid-teens until when my world catastrophically imploded um, back in the summer of 2018. Grant, and that's one thing I was going to say to you is that I saw on your website there are two sequels planned. So that's a direct continuation. It's a trilogy, basically, yeah? 
So um, book two is called Detwat Your Life. And that's about my journey out from the implosion of my life, um, like I said, in 2018. So it's about um, the things that I went through, the transformation of myself. And it's how my Fathom framework that I developed, um, which is a nine step process to help people to navigate change. It's how that Fathom framework and those nine steps sort of came into being what I went through and what I learned, um, which is why each step is in the process. And then the final book is um, Twats at Work. And that's all about my corporate life and sort of behind the curtain um, of some sort of large corporates and particularly the world of HR in those corporates. Um, and really that's because whilst there is a bit of my work life in the first book, um, in order for the story to sort of make sense, um, there was an awful lot about um, my experiences in that corporate world that I didn't have room for. Fair enough. I think that. I mean, obviously, it's a very personal story, but certainly the third book um, about specifically the workplace, Twats at Work, I think most of us could write something along those themes. You know, I think that's something that we've yes. all encountered to, to some extent. Yes, definitely. Um, and that's why I think it will resonate with people. Um, you know, the the sort of the, the tagline for that is that it's because common sense isn't all that common. Uh, and definitely from an uh, HR point of view and obviously spending my working life dealing with people. Um, yeah, find that there's not an awful lot of common sense out there a lot of the time. Many years ago, I used to have a physics teacher who would say every single lesson, common sense is the least common of all the senses. And that was yes. his kind of so listen up because you don't know what you think, you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah, very much so. And that's my experience um, with working with people. Cool. So the first book is out now, right? Came out in January, yeah? Yeah, 18th of January it came out. So yes, cool. just recently. And just before we kind of go any further into it, but just in case anyone is interested, you can get that on Waterstones or on your website, carolynhobd.com. Um, yeah. why so the first one's come out what's your what are you looking at in terms of getting the second one is it going to be a couple of years or are you more or less you kind of know how it's going yeah I I sort of know I know absolutely what the structure is um, I've mapped some of that out already um, I would like to get that out later on this year if I can it just really depends what happens with the first one and sort of how that evolves really um in terms of you know what what offshoot products there might be and certainly you know i'm already talking about maybe doing a bit of a book for um like the, the christmas market maybe something shorter so it's it's really about sort of managing the different projects but yeah. um i'd hope if i didn't get it out um later on this year then um it'll be the early part of next okay cool so it's just you're just working straight through on it you hinted at something there that i was going to ask you um is it just you know a three and done or but you said no you might do something else sort of Christmassy related so that it's something that you want to keep keep working on even after the trilogy then yeah you want to keep writing um I want to keep writing I I have to say I started off with the intention of writing a book and then it's kind of grown arms and legs from there and turned into three books and then like you say potentially from there some offshoots I, I love to write I, I didn't I haven't set out to be an author um you know I, I'm not looking to be kind of the next JK Rowling and, and sort of that's what I do for a living um but I, I do love to write I've always loved to write um from from being very very young so um what you know I've, I'm getting into writing blogs and articles calls I've done a you know, number of different things for, for different publications and contributed to those and I really enjoy doing that so I quite like the sort of more short dynamic um, end of it as well of article writing so I, I'm hoping to develop that side too. Okay fair enough so I had a little surprise when I went to your website and was just expecting you know here's an author here's a, a lady with some books uh, no you had boxing gloves and you're going to hit me do you want to tell us about that that startled me. <laughs> 
Yeah. So after after my world imploded, um, I I had to sort of do a massive, massive reset um, on myself, um, sort of mentally, physically, emotionally. Um, don't get me wrong. You know, I've always been scrawny, so it wasn't um, sort of some weight loss uh, journey, but um, very much about getting fitter and and very much seeing that that physical fitness now is is a big part of my my mental health and um yeah just by chance I I went on a retreat we did a bit of exercise stuff and I thought oh actually this like this works but every day we did a little bit of boxing um only very sort of basic but just the the elements that and something about that really clicked with me and I think interestingly it's because I latin and ballroom dance and I think that there's something about the boxing bit that's all about it's in the technique, um, it's in your footwork, um, your, your sort of overall combination and coordination of that with um, with your hands that I think because of that dancing bit, the boxing bit sort of was like, oh, I like this. And I've never been one who's massively liked exercise. Like I said, I've been fortunate that I've been, you know, slim my whole life. But um, exercise is always a bit of a thing that I, ooh, I just didn't like it. I tried being belonging to a gym and I found it really intimidating. Um, but the boxing, yeah, just clicked. And I, and I came back from that retreat and found myself a boxing coach. And, you know, to use the cliche, you know, the, the rest, as they say, is history. But um, yeah, I, I'm, I'm going boxing today, actually. I, I box, um, you know, I train uh, four or five times a week. A couple of those are normally um, weight training, you know, two, two or three of those. And then a couple of them I box. Um, and it's completely changed my life. That's that's great. I mean, you're you're certainly right that obviously um, physical exercise does have a big role on on mental health as well. Many many years, I've never boxed because I'm afraid of being uh, you know hit in the face. But but many years <laughs> ago, I used to do um, like Olympic style wrestling. Um, so I did yeah. that for a while. So I, I was just pants at it. You know, I never won a match. You know, I was getting beat by girls half my size, and I was like, okay, <laughs> I think maybe this isn't for me. But it was still fun to do the training and to kind of get the. It, it does. You feel, you, you know, you put your mind in a good space. You, it, it really does help. It does. And I, and I think to be clear, you know, I, I boxing train. I've never, you know, I've never fought a match. Um, I don't intend to, to fight a match, but, I, you know, I use the training itself and I spar and I do all the other things that sort of, you know, sit around it to, to, to get the fitness right, which is when the weight training then started to come in too. Um, but for me, it is that thing, you know, and again, it's, uh, you know, I draw the parallel, um, like I said, with dancing, you know, when I dance, and when I box, I can't think about anything else. You have to sort of think about what you're doing. And I think that's been the amazing thing for me is that it takes me away from, you know, the stresses of the rest of life. Um, it takes me away from, you know, thinking about work. Um, and, and it is, it's, it's that sort of complete escape because you have to immerse yourself in it in order to be able to do it. Yeah. And you say, how long have you done the Latin and ballroom dancing? Um, gosh, that's probably about, about five years. I mean, don't get me wrong. You know, if I talked less and I laughed less, I'd be infinitely better. At it, you know? <laughs> you know, um, I'm not for a minute sort of suggesting that I'm any good, but, um, yeah, I've, um, I did a different kind of dancing for a few years when I, when I lived elsewhere in the UK. And then, uh, when I moved, I thought I want to carry on dancing, but I now want to do something different and stretch myself a bit. So found myself a teacher and we do a, a whole range of the that and boring. So yeah, probably about five years ago now. I've a, I've a good friend who teaches salsa actually, and one of my regrets was never getting any lessons off him before the pandemic kind of started. You know, oh, 
Yeah, salsa is, is amazing. You know, that's, that's a really good, it's hard. I'm not saying it's not, but it's quite a good entry point um, in terms of dancing, not least because I think quite quickly you can feel quite good about yourself with it. And, you know, you start to sort of, you know, twirl your part, partner around um, in that sort of quite quickly. And I, I think it's a great way for people to get hooked on dancing. I'd, I'd say so. I'd say so. So I've, I've been curious to ask you, obviously, the title of the first book that's out, All the Twats I Met Along the Way. Was that, um, was there any thought, I'm, I'm not saying you didn't put thought into the title, I'm saying, did you rethink it? Or did, you know, did you always want that title? Or were you kind of like, can I, can I use that as the title? Was there a bit of him and Han about it? Or did you just say, no, that's what I want to call it? And that's it? It came about completely um, through accident, although I, I, I think that often the, you know, the sort of best things do, that I was really struggling with what I was going to call the book. Um, and I was sort of going through that process of trying to, I'd written the book, you know, it was all there. I didn't have a working title, you know, none of it. And I'm really grappling with what to call it and trying to sort of be clever about it. And, and I, I was talking to my publisher one day and we were throwing sort of ideas about in terms of what it could be called this. And I've gone back through it. I've written stuff down. And he said, look, let's not stress too much about it. He said, but he said, the thing that you really need to have though is kind of that elevator pitch, you know, that in a nutshell, can you tell people what it's about? He said, go away and so maybe, you know, have a bit of a think about that and then we'll come back to the title. And I said, oh, that's okay. And it was quite tongue in cheek. I was like, you know, ha ha ha, I've got my elevator pitch. Um, already I know what that is I said because I was talking to somebody the other day in our efforts to try and sort of work out the title and they said to me you know what's your book about and and I said oh well I said well basically it's about all the tracks I met along the way and my publisher went oh my god that's it that's the title and I was like really is that is that <laughs> do you honestly think we can go out with that as a title and he went I love it like yeah totally he said that's completely from the heart that's exactly what you think it's about like, let's just call it that. Wow. I thought it was going to be the opposite. You know, I thought it was going to be the publisher sort of saying, I don't know if we can use that title or not, but it was actually there. Wow. That's, that surprises me. I like that. Yeah. yeah. So, so yeah, it sort of just came from, from there. And it was, you know, like I said, that sort of you shoot from the hip and go, what's it about? Well, like, this is what it's about. And that's it. And there was just no, no better title really to go with. Brilliant. I've got, I've got it on order at the moment from, from Waterstone. So I'm going to give it a read later this month. And I, I can't wait to, and obviously for the follow-up as well. I do have one more question. So obviously we're doing the, you know, we're, we're all kind of in the pandemic. Not as many people are getting out and doing the things they would normally do. Have you mm-hmm. increased the amount of reading that you do yourself or is it you're focusing solely on writing? Um, I think that um, it's a mixture of stuff. You know, I, I've, I try to build in that reading anyway um, for my own, my own development. You know, I, I quite like a, a thought-provoking sort of self-development book. Um, I have quite a number of those. I have to say on my on my extensive bookshelf. Um, so yeah, I, more what I've tried to get into in in the pandemic, like you say, is is about maintaining some of those rituals so that my day has structure. So I do meditation every day. Um, I write um, a gratitude journal every day, um, and I have tried to sort of then put that reading in there as as well. And I predominantly say, um, you know, more the sort of self-help. Um, development type books is, is what I would gravitate towards um, mostly at the minute. Cool. So I think that leads us into what I always ask everyone as the final question, which is if there's one book that you wish you had written, and that can be a self-help or it can be a piece of, you know, high literature, but anything that you want, if there's one book you wish you had written, what would it be? Um, it's a really good question. Um, and I sort of, you know, you dig deep over that. I think probably one of the ones that from a 
a literary point of view made a massive impression on me um, quite early on in my my life because um, I, I studied English um, at school as we do and then went on to do it at A level and then um, on to study at university which is sort of where my passion for, for books and writing um, comes from but really early on um, in that um, I read the Canterbury Tales um, by Chaucer and we yes. studied it at school and I, it's, it's, it's a challenging text because obviously the you know the English in which it's written you know it's a very very old book um, but that's I think what it really ignited in me was that fascination with the use of language um, and the interpretation of it and not least that you're trying to interpret it because it was written so long ago and it's mostly been sort of translated um, for us today but even so there's lots of ways in which the words can be read and um, you know what you take out of it and what one person takes out of it um, can be quite different to another person because of that that use of language and that kind of you know we're almost a little bit guessing um, what Chaucer yeah. intended um, and I think it's that fascination I think it's how words can just have those those different meanings for people and the and the picture that gets evoked in your head can be you know different from one person to another and I think that that's really what sparked my passion so I think if I could have, you know, written the Canterbury Tales with all that, the cleverness, the humour um, that appears in it as well. So whilst my book itself tackles some really tough issues, um, you know, there's lots of humour sprinkled through it. Certainly my kind of humour, which is a little bit dark, I guess. Um, and so I think that's that's why Chaucer sort of appeals to me, because there's a bit of humour, um, lots of really clever use of language and lots of ways in which you can like get lost in it. Mm. On at least three occasions, I've picked up a copy of it and I've looked at it in the bookshop that I go to, and I've thought, I don't, I don't know if I can handle this. Like, I don't know if it's going to be easy, easy to read, you know. But I think with that recommendation, I think I'll get it next time I'm in the bookshop and I'll, I'll give it a try. <laughs> yeah, it's it's like I said, it's it's not an easy read. It's one of those that you have to stick at. I think I was probably lucky because we studied it, and so at school we were sort of unpicking it and unpacking it, and and our teacher was helping us to lead us uh, you know through it so i think that probably helped but um i think it's a, it's a very clever book fair enough fair enough i think that uh, i think it's maybe worth worth me giving it a try so i'm going to close with the basically the synopsis for the book in case anyone's interested in it so what happens when you deeply when you so deeply believe something you were told as a child that it becomes the driving force behind almost every thought feeling and action for the rest of your life until you decide to take complete control and change your life entirely for decades, successful HR and transformational change expert, Carolyn Hobdy believed she was trouble and she was if she wasn't nicer, she'd spend her days alone and unloved. All the twats I've met along the way tells tales of crappy boyfriends, sickening sexual encounters, manipulative men, love triangles, unsupportive and unsupported medical diagnoses, and that's just in the first few pages. Sounds like it's gonna be a bit of a roller coaster, so I really can't wait for it to arrive. <laughs> Good. I, I do hope you enjoy it. I think some of the feedback I've had, which has been great, is that um, it's left a number of people very sleep deprived because they couldn't put it down. Um, and I did have one person that contacted me and said, my children haven't eaten a proper meal for a couple of days <laughs> meals because I've been so absorbed in reading it. So I think it's, uh, you know, which is great. It's great when people sort of say, I started and I got absorbed in it and I just couldn't put it down. And I've had a lot of that feedback, which is just staggering, um, but also amazing for me. So, yeah, so um, maybe catch up on your sleep first and then go for it. <laughs> that, that's how you can tell a good book. I mean, normally I try to do roughly a book a week for the, for the show and I'll look at a book and I'll work out how long it is and I'll say, OK, this is going to take me roughly so many days. But the good ones that you finish in half the time you thought, like that's how you can tell straight away that it's a good book. You say, oh, I thought it was going to take two weeks and I finished it in four days. You know, that's the ones that you know. 
straight away. Yeah. Right, Caroline, it's, it's been a pleasure talking to you. Thank you very much for calling in and have a lovely day. All right, Angie, thank you for having me. Thank you, thank you. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye. Carolyn Hogsy calling in live on the show. Everyone, you can you can look her up online and check out her books, All the Twats I've Met Along the Way. Sounds pretty cool. Awesome. Awesome, cool. Yeah. So we are just about done. I think we'll finish with our, our old recommendation, and that's pretty much us. My recommendation from an old favorite is The Father Brown Mysteries by G.K. Chesterton. Now, this... Ah. Um, I mean, it's a, t- it's a TV show now as well, but I've got a full collection of these. It was a gift from uh, Valerie the Pigeon Detective. And you can uh, you can have a look at these. Basically, Father Brown is a detective, but the stories vary wildly. They come in different sets. So you do get some stories where he's full-on detectiving. He's kind of poirowing. Pyro- oh I can't, I can't use poirowing now as a verb. <laughs> Using oh, no. as a verb was very difficult. You have to. <laughs> was it, it, what about marpling? marpling well, then maybe. he moves on to marpling because he, he has a few <laughs> where he does a little bit less investigating and is just more of a side character. Drinking tea. Um, okay. And he's got his friend uh, Flambeau who starts out as the criminal but ends up as his friend and, and helper in some of the cases. Um, they're nice little, it's just all short stories. It's not, you know, novels as such. So I've just got this big book, which is a collection of all the short stories. And if you like your uh, detective stuff, your kind of classics, then it's one to go for. Um, even uh, even, Agatha, even Agatha Christie gave a shout out to uh, the Father Brown works and to G.K. Chesterton really? in her Tommy and Tuppence novels. Yeah. Oh, wow. Okay. Interesting. Okay. Okay. I, I haven't read them either. So definitely want to read them. Uh, my book recommendation is talking about the Tao Te Ching being translated by Ursula Le Guin. Well, why not actually read Ursula Le Guin's work? And Ursula Le Guin is um, famous for her, again, philosophical sci-fi novels, with some feminism, uh, particularly around the 60s. Uh, but I am familiar with this book. So this is my, I'm just showing a copy to Dean here. It's my lovely Penguin edition of the Earth Sea Quartet. Which became more of a quintet, actually. So I think it's it's officially a quintet with a collection of stories. But until the nineties, it was a quartet. It consists of a, a series of stories set around the Earth Sea, which is basically just a world. It comes with a lovely map. I love I love when oh, it comes with nice. a map. Very nice. And so it comes with a map basically with all the islands. She gives them all names, and like if you obviously. If you're a, a fan, you start learning the names. I, I know I started learning the names of them. I mean, they got lovely names like a series of islands just called The Hands or, uh, I don't know, something like Ob was a double B. Basically, it's set around, and again, this is written around uh, late 60s, I believe published in 1968, the first novel. It's a really hippie fantasy uh, book. And the first book is the best. Yes, no, so no spoilers there, I suppose. Uh, first book is the best. Yeah, Wizard of Earthsea, a short novella, possibly written for teens, borderline. Is it YA literature? I don't know, maybe. But the best kind is always for the best kind of YA literature is always relatable for adults as well. So Wizard of Earthsea is basically oh Harry Potter is influenced by the book, by the way, by the way, particularly the character of Dumbledore. And J.K. Rowling admits to this that Dumbledore is quite based on the protagonist of this book. It's basically about a very talented wizard 
living in a planet uh, of water and islands, Admiral and yeah, and basically about him being a super wizard, uh, going to a school of wizardry, and learn, and just like being an awesome ace kind of guy. But he goes a bit too far. He says, "You know what, guys? You know what I'm going to do? Oh, what are you going to do?" He says, "Well, I'm going. I'm going to separate my shadow." I said, "What? Separate your shadow? Are you mad? You can't do that. That's that's dark. That's that's dark magic." And this is essentially what he does. He actually manages to separate a shadow from him. And this is when it gets interesting. The whole, the rest of the book is just a philosophical escape. Uh, basically, he just escapes. He's just uh, on a run from his own shadow. His shadow starts pursuing him. And the fear he feels was is very subjective, I suppose. But he feels an insane amount of fear as just the moment the shadow separates himself from him and in, in the essence that first book is a very much an inner child kind of novel about basically losing yourself like being at the lowest point of your life losing yourself and then running away from your dark side which is also an essential side of you like running literally literally running away from your shadow and i love that that she's actually taken the concept of running away from your shadow literally that is what the book wow. is so i actually love it and the rest of the books are great but they become like a bit more. That, yeah, yeah, the, yeah, the rest of the books are great. They made an adaptation, I think, a tale of Ursi, mm-hmm. the Studio Ghibli film, and that's more about the. Uh, anyway, the rest, uh, a lot of the rest of the books are just about the world, and there's a lot of dragons in the world. Yes, but really, the first book is about that, and it's by far the most philosophical book about running away from a shadow and maybe coming, trying to come to terms with your darker side. Not only, not only being friends with your light side was very easy, but also becoming connected with your dark side. And it's great. And it's great. So I highly recommend that. The Earthsea Quartet, the whole thing, or A Wizard of Earthsea, the first book by Ursula Le Guin. Cool. Well, PJ, uh, you'll be sorry to hear that we haven't even released this episode yet, and we're already getting complaints that people do not want to go to the books on tape library. Um, so what? for anyone who doesn't want to do that very archaic thing, uh, don't forget there's a link on our site to Audible where you can get an audiobook uh, free on us. So that's something okay. that you, can, you can check out as well if you don't want to go back in time to the 80s. Can they not get a tape from us? That might be a niche thing, guys. If you want a tape from us, you can always just invest the money and you know just invest a lot of money on us making some tapes, maybe some Bufanda Boys tapes with faces. Don't forget, we've got the Bufanda Boys. More on that coming soon. But you know what we would really love the listeners to do? No matter where you're listening, if there's a possibility to leave a five-star rating or write a review, particularly on Apple Podcasts, we'd really appreciate it if you did that. Now, PJ, I've got some cool mads for you here. Do you know that if every single listener violently forced one other person to listen to the show, our numbers would double? (laughs) Does that mads check out? If every I person that, forces that one other person out. to listen, we double. So there, I'm not saying to do that. I'm just saying that's the maths. Those are the numbers. And, Run the and numbers. guys, if, if that person then, you know, this says it forces someone else, then it triples, right? And, you know. I think I think I I need to go back and check on my calculations, but I think okay. that would be right. It might. it might. You just never know. You just never know, guys. Well, so I, and I suggest you, you, not, you not only give this to your best friend, but also to your worst enemy, so that your worst enemy can can maybe become your best friend. And That's you can it. all connect. That's how to do it. Well, guys, don't forget booksboys.com. And of course, tell us what you're reading. 
uh, on social media or booksboys.hotmail.com. PJ, I was thinking which song we should end this episode with. Do you think it's time? Do you think they're ready to do the salmon? I think they're ready to do the salmon. I think so, guys. We are going to take you right with that song then. Now, we should explain this one. In my opinion, by the way, this is the best song that we've Uh ever worked on together by far. And that is entirely due to yourself. This is 90% you. Uh, it's an amazing song. I added in a few little, you know, bits and pieces in the background, but it's it's pretty much entirely you, and it is an absolutely amazing song. So I really hope oh, that oh, that everyone wow, likes it. Stop it. I'm blushing behind my sunburned cheeks. So <laughs> stop, stop that now. Stop that nonsense. I thought you edited very well. So wow. I love the collaboration. And after that, of course, we'll have our closing credits as usual. So we're going to get that queued up. The DJ is going to spin that record, and in the meantime, oh. everyone, take care, and we'll be back. In about a month. Awesome, guys. Take it easy and read. See read some books. Get it by it books. Still don't know what that means. But... Well, don't get it. Don't get it. Let's be someone, baby. Let's go back to the source. Let's go back to the land of our childhood. Let's go back in time and space Let's go against the current Let's rewind ourselves Let's retrace our steps Let's remember everything Let's recall the days When the rivers ruled And forests were larger Let's reenact our journey backwards Let's relearn the things essential Let's restart our kingdom better Let's return to the place where we were born Let's return to the home where daddy mommy made us Let's return to the scene of love Let's close the circle Let's jump over the largest barriers Let's swim up the waterfall Let's do it better, let's do it gentler Let's use only love this time And leave out the hate Leave out the hate Come on, do the summer, honey Let's be salmon, baby. Let's be salmon, honey. Come on, let's be salmon, baby. Let's do it better, baby. Let's do it gentler, baby. Let's use love only this time. Let's leave out the hate. Let's leave out the hate, baby. Let's leave out the hate.
about to hate I just do it better I just do it gentler It's only use love this time Let's leave out the hate Let's be simple Let's be salmon, honey. Let's be salmon, baby. Let's do the salmon, honey. Let's do the salmon, baby. Let's be salmon, honey. I want you to be my salmon. I'll be your Let's salmon. be salmon, honey. Let's be salmon, baby. was presented by The Dean and PJ Burke in association with Thaddeus Penguin Productions. This episode was brought to you by our sponsor, the Travelling Books on Tape Library. If you would like to get in touch, you can email us at booksboys at hotmail.com or visit us at booksboys.com. The intro uses Driving in the 70s from the Of Soundtracks and Garage Bands EP by Trapdoor. And the outro uses Dog's Light by Bravo Max from the album of the same name. All music used is either pod safe or used with permission. If you're in the US and you would like to purchase any of our recommendations, please use the Amazon links for your book purchases and the Audible link on our website for your audio book purchases and help support the show. Thank you kindly for listening to us. Please tell your friends and come back next time for another episode of Books Boys. Read some books!
do like a Michael Buffer intro, like a Let's get ready to read some books! I can get him to say that, but it's gonna cost like 200 pounds, man, that's wild. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns.